If you have your Bibles, you can be opening the book of Hebrews this afternoon, the book of Hebrews. Uh, While you're turning there, I'll remind you that we keep making jokes about uh, how much everybody eats at lunch and uh, and the length of the lesson, Uh, but we made it last week with with my voice really hurting last week, and uh, after the Mexican-themed lunch, I think we can make it this afternoon as well. Uh, Don't worry, we'll we'll push through. Uh, One more slightly serious, more serious note, Um, I want to mention to you that I had someone ask me Wednesday night at least one question about a lot of the things that you've been seeing in the news, especially in regards to the Middle East, uh, the nation that we call Israel, and that kind of thing. Uh, I had seen several of my friends, preaching friends, and people I know that have, have talked about that recently. Some have written a couple articles, some have shared some lessons, and, and I was thinking about that might be something that would be of interest to, to us and to you, and we may think about that uh, maybe even next Sunday afternoon or something along those lines, but um, you may have questions, people talk about it, uh, not just from a perspective of, well, uh, what does God's word say about the nation of Israel, but of course you may have friends who have talked about uh, things of apocalyptic nature, about uh, you know, the book of Revelation and all those things. So there's sometimes questions that swirl around uh, these events, and that's okay. We understand that, and it may even give us a chance or an opportunity to, uh, to do something there. I don't think I'm ready to sing the invitation song there, Travis, just yet. That's a little shorter than I meant to go, so I'm just going to say, if you don't mind. <laughs> I did just go forward one, right? Are my slides back there? You didn't see them? I downloaded them. See if you can pull them in the download folder real quick. <clears throat> Man alive, that was really short. We set new records. Yeah, Charles is applauding. Here we go. Okay. I tell you what, around here. So we'll see if they can find it back there. Uh, because, as I told you this morning, um, I was pretty good at English in high school. I had an English teacher that really hammered home the, the functions of grammar primarily. Uh, because she was our junior English teacher, uh, because we had to take the ACT, right? And she wanted her ACT scores of our students to reflect well upon her teaching. So we really did. We hammered home. And I learned a lot about commas and about grammar rules and those kinds of things. And so uh, we, we're kind of doing that today, not necessarily to have to worry about grammar and school things, but to talk about s- verses and sentences and how they break down. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to talk about if-then statements. Uh, And the idea of an if-then statement being something that's conditional, right? It's how the world works sometimes. If you say to someone, well, if you work overtime, if you were to take a job, and the boss says, if you work overtime, then you will get paid time and a half. We understand that. We said, okay, we understand the hypothesis. If you work overtime and the conditional statement, then you will get paid that time and a half. Obviously, we talk a lot about that when it comes to parenthood, right? If you clean your plate, then you can have dessert. We understand that's what parents tell their kids a lot of times. Of course, the other side of that is also true, right? If you don't stop whining, then I am going to beat you within an inch of your life or spank you or whatever choice of threatening words your parents might have chosen or many of you might have chosen to try to help your kids do what's right. But we understand that's a conditional statement, that if you will stop whining, then you don't have to worry about the punishment. There are statements that begin with an if, and then they state in action, and then comes the consequence of that action. So what we're going to do this afternoon is look at just one of those from the book of Hebrews and see if that will help us learn a little bit about God's word and his message for us. Travis, I don't know if you went off of it, but it won't let me go forward now, so uh, you may have to click back into it, see if I can advance it then from here. 
And I can give you time to get back to the invitation song, too, certainly, if they need to stay in, in the separate, uh, separate PowerPoint. So. so in Hebrews, we're going to look at chapter 2 in just a moment to begin. But we need to understand Hebrews chapter 1 first. Hebrews chapter 1, we might say the theme is that Jesus is better than the angels. Somebody says, well, why does that matter? Why, why, why would we even worry about that? Well, if you've ever studied Hebrews before, you see some things here in this statement. In the book of Hebrews, we say the book of Hebrews is about better. That's kind of the theme of Hebrews, better. A lot of times it involves Jesus being better than many other things or several other things. Chapter 1 says Jesus is eternal and the angels are not. If you open up to Hebrews, look there in the first four verses of chapter 1, first of all. In verse 2, we see that his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus is eternal. Angels are not. We see in verse number 3 that he is the brightness of the glory and the express image of his person. Again, he is eternal. He is at God's right hand at the end of verse number 3. Where are the angels? They're not at God's right hand. Verse number 4, we see that he has a more excellent name. They do not have the same excellent name that he has. And really what the chapter is about here, chapter 1 is, he is eternal, they are not. He is deity, and they are not. He is at God's right hand, and they are not. And verses 5 through 14 of chapter 1 give some Old Testament scripture to help us show all of this. Now that's not our emphasis this afternoon. We're not going to focus on that. But here is the scripture you see beginning in verse number 5. I mention this to you often if you're studying your Bible. Mine has some of the text offset or italicized. It's telling you those are Old Testament scriptures that help us prove the point that Jesus is better than the angels. That's not to say that the angels didn't have a purpose. They weren't created for something. And we can study angels at another time. That's obviously a very good and deep study. But Jesus is better than the angels. And so we move forward then to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which will be the, really the focus of our lesson. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So you've heard this mentioned, of course, in my lessons and probably other preachers before, but the key word to begin this section is, therefore. And you've heard the saying, if you read the word, therefore, we need to understand what it is, therefore. So we ask the question, what is these first four verses of chapter 2, therefore? Well, chapter 1, as we mentioned, is saying that Jesus is better than the angels. So go back to verse 1 of chapter 1, and it says, God spoke at various times and in various ways in times past to the fathers, by the prophets. God is now speaking to us in these last days by his Son. So since God is spoken by his Son, who, by the way, is the better son, right? Better than the angels. I thought that. Maybe I can fix it. 
All right. Uh, sorry about that. Um, so if Jesus is better, he is the better son, not because he's better than another son, but because he's better than the angels. Therefore, because of Jesus being better, notice the rest of verse 1, we must give the more earnest heed. We must pay close attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Look and listen carefully to the message of the Son because the key is to not drift away. Have you ever been drifting away before? If you've ever been on a boat or in the water or in the ocean and you start drifting away, it's a pretty scary place to be in. You know, especially if you're worried about being carried out by the tide or, or maybe on the boat and getting far away from where you're supposed to be. That's a pretty bad place to be in. Do not drift away. So therefore, pay the more close attention to the sun. So let's break this down then. Here is our if-then statement that we're going to look at, right? It begins in verse number two. We see our if, right? For if the word spoken through angels provided steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, our then is understood, right? You know that sometimes you don't have to see it there. So I've kind of added in here. If the word spoken through angels uh, provided steadfast, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So here's our if-then statement that we want to understand. I think as your bulletin says in front of you, a divine if-then statement. Now one more thing we want to understand before we break this down is, let's try to understand what we're after. Right? When I make the statements that connect with the kids the parents a minute ago, you realize that if you think about it in reverse, if I want dessert, then I need to eat my food, right? I need to clear my plate. We think about it, kind of reverse it. If I don't want to get spanked, then I need to stop whining. You kind of reverse it. So if we want to escape, escape what? Well, we're going to see what the verse says in just a moment, but in general, you can imagine escape God's punishment, right? Escape his wrath that we think about, that we see. Now, the word escape here in the New, in the New Testament, I'm going to ask you to turn to another passage real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 33. The word escape here is ekfugo, and it carries with it, I mean, literally the idea of escaping. Once again, as we said this morning, context helps. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 33, Paul says... I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. Do you remember that occasion? It happens in Acts chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. But in Acts chapter 9, what happened in Acts chapter 8 and 9 there? Well, Paul's going to be baptized, right? He's Saul. He has the, the encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he's going to be told what he needs to do. And he's going to be baptized. But what's Paul's problem? Well, he said he was Saul, right? He's, his name was Saul. He was known for killing Christians. And so he's trying to make friends. He's trying to preach Jesus, and the Jews don't want to hear it from Saul. And so he has to escape in Acts chapter 9. Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, he's recounting this. He says in verse 32, In Damascus, the governor was after me, desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and at Fugo. And I escaped from his hands. So this is the word. This is the same idea. Literally escaping. Paul says, I had to be, be led away in a basket through a wall. For us, how can we escape? 
How shall we escape? That's what we want to understand. More than the king of Damascus, but of course, God's punishment, as we're going to get to here in just a moment. So, as sometimes happens with a lot of Bible verses, there's a lot of words here on the screen, right? Kind of gets a little lost sometimes, as sometimes they're longer thoughts. Let's try to break it down as we did this morning and understand our if. There's two of them in this phrase. The first one is, if the word spoken through angels provided or proved steadfast. All right? Now, hold your finger there and let's go to another passage. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. Sometimes you hear this, you see the word angels and you think, well, what's, what, what's the deal with angels? What did they do? What happened? Here's one thing we read. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So Paul is discussing the old law here in Galatians chapter 3 and how it was appointed through angels. Now, here's the bad news. I don't have all the details of this. I cannot fully explain this to you, but I don't understand myself. But we see that the giving of the old law involved angels. We may not have every detail of what that means exactly, but it involved angels. And of course, it also involved Moses. We know that to be the case. The law of Moses then, we would say, was given through angels. And here's one thing that we understand from the passage it was firm and it was reliable. It was steadfast. Let me ask you this. Do you think you would ever meet a Jew who didn't fully believe in the old law? I don't think you could. They believed it so much that they added to it, right? That they knew that it was the case and they had all these traditions. So you wouldn't meet a Jew who questioned the law. The law was steadfast. It was firm and it was reliable. There were no questions about the validity of the old law and it was given through angels. Now go back to our thought a moment ago. That was the old law. If the new law did not come by angels, but came by the Son, who was better than the angels, well, then that's something about that new law, isn't it? It should be better as well. So we see here, first of all, that this is a true statement, right? We talked about it being a hypothesis. If you eat your vegetables, well, you eat your vegetables, it's a true statement. The word spoken through angels was true, steadfast, firm, and reliable. We know that from the law. All right, let's focus then on the second part. Let's go on. If every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. So secondly, we see that this is another true statement, that every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. What does that mean? Punishment. Every transgression got punishment. Under the old law, violators of the old law were what? They were punished, of course, right? We have nowhere near enough time to go through the Old Testament, example after example of people who were punished for disobedience. Not all of them. We can, we can go real quick, right? Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, punishment, banned from the garden, right? Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus chapter 10, consumed by fire in the moment when they offered profane fire, the nation of Israel as a whole. We've been talking about captivity for several months now on Sunday mornings in our lessons, right? 
Assyrian captivity, Babylonian captivity. You mean God let his people be punished? Absolutely. If there was transgression and disobedience, it received a just reward. There was punishment. That's why it helps us to study the Old Testament. We know that that's a true thing. We know that that's the way that God worked. Here's a, here's a paraphrased version of this. You might say that this, this section is saying, look at the Old Testament disobedience to see how God regards the importance of obedience in the New Testament. Somebody says, we don't live under the old law. That's right. But do you see how God dealt with those who were punished, who need to be punished in the old law? Every single time they received punishment. So if we're trying to understand about us today, it helps us to know that these were, this is the way that God interacted. And so real quickly, I want to give you three things before we finish up this afternoon. Here's three things we learned about God from this. Number one, God is concerned about every time that man disobeyed his law. Every time, God is concerned about that. There's never sort of this overlooking, in a sense, that he's not going to deliver punishment. Do you know that the phrase that we sometimes say in our world today, what do we say? We say, well, no good deed goes unpunished, right? That's kind of mocking. That's kind of a mocking way of saying that if you do something good, sometimes bad things still happen. But actually, the reverse is true, especially when it comes to God. Every bad deed will be punished. It's true of God because that's his divine nature. He does punish the wicked evil kings. Somebody says, well, Nebuchadnezzar reigned for a long time, didn't he? He was pretty evil. He did. He was also humble. His nation also fell. Evil kings, punished. God's own people, if they disobeyed, punished. God is concerned about every time man disobeyed his law. Number two, in connection with that, God is always, always just in dealing with with every disobedience. He is the one who defines justice. What do we do? Well, we try to say, well, I don't know if they deserve to be punished. I think they should be let off. I think they should have the book thrown at them, right? Spend multiple lifetimes in jail, kind of uh, serving those sentences. We think we know justice, but God is always just. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number four, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. God is the very definition of just. And because of that, he is always just when he deals with disobedience. But then number three, God always brings just retribution on every transgression. He always does what is right. And I ask you again, can you think of one time, one time in the entire Old Testament where God did not bring justice? There isn't one case. We can go back and sort of maybe talk about other times where where he did something different. He chose maybe to do a different thing. But God is always going to bring about just retribution on every transgression. And I would say, even though it makes me a little nervous sometimes, Praise be to God for that, right? How thankful I am that that is the way that he acts. Because if it were up to me, oh, I'd mess it up for sure. Because I'm not justice. I am not just as he is. And so I know that I can take his word and I can trust it. 
I can take him at his word because he is just and he is serious about disobedience and every transgression and disobedience receive a just reward. So quickly here, let's think about it one more time as we go back through this particular lesson and in particular uh, this phrase at the beginning of chapter 2. I either lost power here, Travis, or we're just having all kinds of troubles today. See if you can go forward one. Try it again. There we go. So number one, if the word spoken through angels provided steadfast, check. The word given through angels was steadfast. It was true. It was never questioned. The law given by angels was steadfast. Number two, if every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, guess what? It's true. That's exactly what happened. Then, as we go back to our larger phrase here, then how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Now, I hope you already see where we're going with this, of course, because you know what the answer is, right? The answer is simple, and the answer is we cannot. If the angel's words prove true, and if God always punishes disobedience, how will we escape? something that's so much better? And the answer is we cannot. Now, I'm sad to say this afternoon that this message is not as comforting as this morning, right? It's not as happy as it was this morning. I appreciate several of you and your kind words this morning about the lesson and how comforting it was, and it was good to hear those things. It was good for me to study it and hear it as well. This message is not so happy or comforting to us. However, it is just as true. Just as much as we can take all of our cares and anxieties and cast them upon God because he cares for us, just as true as that is, it is absolutely true that we cannot neglect a great salvation because of the things that were mentioned here. We cannot escape if we neglect so great a salvation. So great a salvation that's only found in Jesus Christ, that's only found in his son. The book of Hebrews is, Jesus is better. And if we have something that is so much better, why would we neglect it or let go of it? If you've studied Hebrews before, you know that it was written to Jews who became Christians who were wanting to go back to Judaism. And that's a, that was a sad place. The Hebrew writer is saying, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't neglect the better thing. Don't go back. Can I encourage you this afternoon that the problem for us today and the reason the book of Hebrews still applies to us is because the message is still don't go back. Now, it's not back to Judaism necessarily. What's it back to? Well, it's back to our sinful worldly ways. I don't care if you became a Christian at 55 or 40 or 15. It doesn't really matter. If you came out of sin and you put off the old man of sin and death, do not go back. Do not neglect so great a salvation found in something that is better, Jesus. Do not go back. So, because we cannot escape if we neglect the great salvation, back to verse number 1 of chapter 2, give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. That's the warning. The warning is, pay attention. God has spoken by his son. He's spoken by his son, so listen carefully. Listen to the thing that is better, and don't drift away.
don't drift away because we know that God's word is sure. And if those things are true that we read about in verse number two, and they are, don't. Don't go back because you cannot escape God's wrath, his punishment, and the just reward that is coming for disobedience, which is not something that is good, obviously, when we think about it in those regards. As we conclude this lesson, then, we encourage you to think about your life and the way that you've been living, in particular in relation to God and to your service to him. Maybe you have, as verse 1 says, maybe you have drifted away. We sing this song of encouragement in just a moment to, to call out, if you will, as we sometimes say, don't drift away. Come back, find the firm foundation, find the anchor that is in Christ, and follow him. It may be tough, it may be hard, it may take humbling yourself, humility, like we talked about this morning, but you can do it. Maybe you're here and you need to be humble in the first sense by becoming a Christian and giving your life over to Christ. We're thankful that the time presents itself this afternoon that we can again sing a song of encouragement and again encourage each one of us to make a change if we need to do so, even now while we stand together and while we sing.